Thanks for tuning in to today's sermon from Faith Community Church, joyfully serving the city of Providence, Rhode Island. As the power of God for salvation, we believe the gospel is essential in building up the faith of the saints. We pray this proclamation of the word will enlighten both your hearts and minds. Because uh, when you're pastoring, you're always hoping to have people who are willing to uh, care, people who are willing to minister, uh, people who care as much about the kingdom of God as, as you do. And so Dexley was uh, just this great gift to me. Um, all through, uh, oh boy, probably about eight years maybe, uh, seven or eight years that he was just willing to serve and, and, and um, love people. Um, and the advantage I always had on Dexley was this. When I was young and stupid, I was so young and so stupid. And everything that I have done has been expunged. Does not mean it's gone away. Um, I, I can never be a police officer because not, you know what I mean. Expunged is a certain level. But we, we adopted a child, um, and when I when I adopted Isaac, um, everything's going great. And then the adoption agent calls up and says, "Were you ever arrested in warrant?" And I said, "Ah, oh, yeah." And they said, "Well, we need a letter." And I so I wrote a letter. When I was young and stupid, I was young and stupid, but I've grown and yada yada yada. Two weeks later, they write. They call me up again. They say, were you ever arrested in Worcester? <laughs> oh. And I had to write another letter. And I was young and stupid. I was young and stupid, but I have changed and grown. So Dexley didn't know me during that time, right? And, um, um, and so it's, it's a gift to be able to walk with people. It's a gift to be able to walk with the body. And I'm grateful that he asked me to share with you guys today. Uh, I asked him, I said, when you're, when you're not preaching, what do you do? And he said that the uh, other people would be uh, preaching through the Psalms. And so I said, okay, well, what Psalm is it? And he said, Psalm 13. And, and I got excited about that because I don't think I've ever preached a sermon directly on Psalm 13 or, or shared about it directly. Um, and so it's a gift to me to be able to, to think about it, meditate on it, and to, to share with you guys. So if we, oh, look at that. See, I did that. That's right. That's right. I'm old, but I can figure out a computer. That's right. Um, oh, and I wanted to start off a, a little story before I, I, I get into this, because this, I'll bring the story back at the end. Uh, there was this fellow, um, as he was getting older, he was starting to get dementia. And so he and his wife, they went to the doctor together, and the doctor did tests. And, and the doctor said, okay, you do have the beginnings of dementia, um, but there's some things that you can do to help. Every time you, you want to remember something, you have to write it down. And then just, just look at things, and that way if you get confused or you, get, you, you, can, you can write it down. And uh, so the two of them left, and they're sitting on the couch, and he gets up. And, and she says, so where, where are you going? And he says, oh, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make some eggs. And she said, oh, I'd like some eggs too. And he said, oh, okay. And she goes, well, aren't you going to write it down? And, and, and he said, I don't need to write it down. I'm just going to the kitchen. And she says, well, I'd like some ham cut up and put in my eggs. And, 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 and aren't you going to write that down? And he says, you want eggs and ham, and, and, and it's right here in the kitchen. I don't need to write it down. And she said, well, I, I would like some toast, too. And he looks at her, and he's just like, anybody here married? <laughs> all right, all right. He goes, eggs with ham, toast. And she goes, aren't you going to write it down? And he says, I don't. It's so he storms in the kitchen. Fifteen minutes later, he comes back to her, and he's got a plate of waffles. <laughs> and he hands it to her, and she looks at him, and she goes, I told you to write it down. I wanted whipped cream on my waffles. 
So I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to the remembering in a second. Uh, for the director of music, a psalm of David. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, for I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Um, say click maybe? All right. So when I was thinking about this, um, I love My Utmost for His Highest. It's my favorite devotional. Isn't it beautiful? You know, he did not live very long. It's, it's interesting. The older you get, um, the more you realize that you're actually outliving the people that you really love. Um, Oswald Chambers, I think, died in his 30s. Uh, not very old at all. I, I remember the first time I went into the emergency room, I was visiting a parishioner, and I looked around at the doctors, and I looked around at the nurses, and I realized I was older than every person yeah. working in the emergency room. Uh, where I currently work, I am the oldest person in the building. I'm 55. Um, but wow. I'm the oldest teacher, right? <laughs> that's, that's what I'm saying. It, it, and as you get older, you know, one of the reasons why I love working with, with kids is they haven't made the decision on uh, who they're going to be yet. And, and they're still really willing to let God speak into them and, and direct their lives. And it's a real gift to, to be a part of that. And the other thing about kids that's great is that uh, they, they haven't had a lot of sorrow yet. You know, they're really filled with optimism because the world is still a magical place. The world is a, a place of wonder. And I think it really is. But as you grow older, you accumulate sorrows. You, you accumulate difficulties. You know, the writer of Ecclesiastes, he says, you know, if you want to gain wisdom, don't go to the house of laughter. Hmm. He said, go to the house of mourning, for one day you will be there also. And as you grow older, you really start to become aware of how broken this world is. Some children, they realize how broken this world is at very young ages. You know, they, they were um, neglected by their parents. They were, were abused and harmed, and some children learn very early how, how broken this world is. One of the goals of my family when I had my kids was that uh, they wouldn't carry the same things that I carry uh, from when I was growing up, that they would grow up in a house where they were safe, where they were loved, where, where they were encouraged, um, and where they always knew they belonged. And, and so my children don't carry the same burdens that I am probably going to carry my whole life, but they'll carry others. And right now, the world is a magical place to my children. They haven't had anybody close to them pass away. They haven't had any real hardships in those ways. But as we get older, we accumulate these things, and we start to realize more and more and more that we're in a broken world. And, and there are times when this psalm is, is acknowledging that we will have times when we are walking with a very active and living God, and we will not be able to sense his presence. We will not be able to, to know his closeness or his nearness. Oswald Chambers says this, he said, Faith is a deliberate confidence in the character of God whose ways you may not understand at the time. That is what faith is. Faith is not, when you feel this unction inside you, you feel this belief that God wants you to do something, be a part of something, go somewhere, etc. And you feel this, and then all of a sudden, you start getting confirmation after confirmation after confirmation 
that you're supposed to do it. And then you're actually given resources to do it. To, to be honest, that's not necessarily awe-inspiring faith. Awe-inspiring faith is when you are doing things for God because you're supposed to do them for God regardless of the circumstances around you, regardless of what's going on around you. That is the faith that, that God wants out of us. You know, uh, Click, there's a, a, a writing from Paul to the Philippians. He said this. He's talking about Epaphras, Epaphroditus. And he says this, but I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also our messenger, whom you sent to care, take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed he was, and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. I, I had something like this happen uh, a couple of weeks ago. A good friend of mine uh, was driving home, um, and uh, she's the one who's in charge of all the dramas for our school. She's one of those people that punches way above the weight of, uh, you know, our school has about 160, 170 kids, and, and she creates these amazing things, and she is an amazing person of faith. She was driving home on Friday night two weeks ago, and as she was driving home on 114, um, she got hit by a guy. He was so apologetic. He, he was, um, you know, and uh, didn't even see her. Her car rolled and rolled and rolled and rolled and rolled. And so all I got was this message, please pray for her. She's in the hospital. Uh, the car's totaled. Uh, they had to use the jaws to get her out, etc. right? So I am praying that God is going to spare her. But here's the thing that's going through my mind as I'm praying. I know for a fact that the day that I die is going to be the best day of my life. You know, I've, 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 I've loved Jesus um, you know, I got saved in a Baptist church down in Maryland, and, and the Baptists, they, they have a way of keeping records. They do. They do. And, and, and so one of the things they gave me was this little contract, and it was November 9, 1977, that I accepted the Lord. And I know this because I had this contract, and the contract was all about what Jesus has done for me. Mm. And now that I've become his, this is who I am, and it's this contract that's a one-way contract. It was really great because it was what God has contractually obligated himself to me, mm. right? Yeah. It wasn't what I am contractually obligated to do back. It was what God has done for me. 1977, November 9th, I've been following the Lord all that time. I know that when I die, I'm going to see him face to face. I know that all these things that I worry about now, like I want to live. I have a 13-year-old boy. I want to influence him as long as possible. I want, to, I want to be a strength to my kids as they have kids. I, I want that. But the day I die is going to be the best day of my existence because I am going to see colors I have never seen. I am going to feel life like I have never felt life. I am going to step out of what seems so real into true reality, which Paul said, he said, I've seen it, and yet I can't use words to explain it. That's how Paul says. He says, even if I explain it to you, he says, no eye would be able to see it, no ear would be able to understand what is waiting for us in heaven. That will be my greatest day. And so if she had died that night, I firmly believe that the best day of her life would have been that day. But 
in this world, it would be the hardest day for many people. Many people. And that's something to keep in mind, even when we have a believer who dies, that it is a day to rejoice what Christ has done in their lives. But it is a day that we should not stiff arm the sorrow of the family. We should not stiff arm the grieving the process it takes to work through the idea that I am going to walk in this world separated for a period of time. Think about Jesus. He was separated from Joseph for a period of time. When he stands in front of Lazarus' tomb, why does he cry? He knows that he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. I think he is remembering his own dad. I think he's remembering that he once had a dad who was strong and carried him on his shoulders, and probably towards the end of that man's life, Jesus is carrying him to the bathroom. He is watching this man pass away in front of him. He, like me, loved his dad, and his dad was not there. Paul was saying, I am grateful to God that he spared Epaphroditus so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. There's an acknowledgement in the scriptures that we live with a, a living, wonderful God but we live in a broken world. We have broken bodies. We have a broken nature around us. And that broken nature sooner or later causes sorrow. And that's what the psalmist says. It's a psalm of lament. It's not a word used very often. But it's a psalm that says, God, I don't feel your presence. And, and I have sorrow, maybe even depression, in my life. You know, Oswald Chambers says this, if we were never depressed, we would not be alive. Only material things don't <laughs> suffer depression. If human beings were not capable of depression, we would have no capacity for happiness and exaltation. There are things in life that are designed to depress us. For example, things that are associated with death. You know, it is okay when a Christian is depressed. It is okay. It does not mean the Christian is wrong with God. It does not mean that the Christian has great sin in their life, even though most of my anxiety in this world has not been caused by other people. It's been caused by my own lack of wisdom, my own um, poor decision-making. That's, that's where most of my anxiety in this world has come from. But we go through depression. I, when I was younger, I had a, a non-remitting headache for two years. Uh, and what that meant was my head always hurt. Um, it would spike to the point where I would start vomiting. And, um, and uh, for two years, I was youth pastoring. We had a, a pretty good-sized uh, group of kids. Um, on a Friday night, we'd have maybe 100 or so kids come out. And it, was, it was pretty great. It was, it was really nice. But for two years, I had to explain to the kids when I stood in front of them that I just don't feel the presence of God. I just don't feel it. Um, and I would, I, would, I would just go through a series of sermons. They would be biblical. And I would tell them, I would say, this is, I can't tell you this was inspired by the Holy Spirit inside me, but his word has been breathed life through the Holy Spirit. And for two years, I had a very patient church as they walked with me and realized that I was not feeling close to God at all. But it was that time that his word proved more faithful to me than at any time. I'm a person who, I honestly, like, um, some people are very cerebral, and when they have faith challenges, uh, God will step into their emotions and lift them up and prove to them, yes, God is with them. 
I'm very emotional. And so for two years, me not uh, feeling that way, feeling there was a cloud between me and the Lord. Um, but his word proved faithful, and he proved faithful. And then one day, I saw three neurologists. They gave me different things. I was in a depression. But one day, it was over. One day, it was over. And I could look back on that day, and I could realize that for two years, God had been faithful to me, even when I wasn't in a position to feel him, to be near him. It didn't mean that he was angry at me. It didn't mean that I was... It just meant that I live in a broken world. And you know, he's used that for his glory since. I do not want to go through it again. <laughs> no. But he's used it for his glory. You know, click, in, in Job chapter 9, there's an interesting thing. How many of you ever heard the phrase, the patience of Job? Right, I wish I had the patience of Job. When you really read the book of Job, he's not patient. He's not, right? Yeah. No. I mean, talk about this poor guy, right? God brags on him. Oh. You want God to brag on you. How many of you want God to brag on you? <laughs> Say amen. I do. But it depends on who he's bragging to. Right? And so you know the story. Satan comes before him. No one, well, he only serves you because he's rich. You can take his wealth, but not his body. All right, his wealth is gone. Everything that matters to a person in this world is taken from him. And then he comes back and God says, see, he still loves you. He still loves me. And Satan says, of course he loves you. He's still got his health. I'll take his health, but don't not his life. And so now the only voice from God that he gets to hear is his spouse. She doesn't do so great in this, right? She, she kind of falls short. Then he gets his friends. And what do his friends say? His friends say, well, what sin haven't you confessed to that this caused this, this happened to you? Because they had this belief that if you're doing everything right, then you will have health, wealth, and everything, right? That's a prevalent teaching, right? You don't have to go far. I mean, I'm not a big fan of TBN because 90% of those people on there are like, you do everything right and God's going to make you wealthy and your skin will clear up. I work with kids. Um, you know what I mean? And like, oh, well, your cholesterol will go down. you got to know your audience. Um, and, uh, you know, if you do everything right. But, but the scripture is very clear that's not true, is it? It's not true. And Job, it wasn't true for him. And so in the middle of all of this, in Job chapter 9, he says this, It is all the same, and that is why I say, he destroys both the blameless and the wicked. This is what he's saying about God. Okay? Now you've got to remember, everything in the Bible is not true. It's all context. It's all context, right? So he says this, He destroys both the blameless and the wicked. When a scourge brings sudden death, he mocks the despair of the innocent. When a land falls into the hands of the wicked, he blindfolds its judges. If it is not he, then who is it? I still dread all my sufferings, for I know you, he's talking to God, will not hold me innocent. Since I am already found guilty, why should I struggle in vain? Even if I washed myself with soap and my hands with cleansing powder, you would plunge me into, the same, into a slime pit so that even my clothes would detest me. In his anger... Job starts saying this to God. He starts saying this to God. I mean, can you imagine? He starts saying this to God. Even if I clean myself, you would just plunge me in the mud and make me, make me dirty. It, it, is, it is something here. But what is going on? 
Because by the end of the book, after Job has done all of this, God shows up, right? Where were you? Where were you? Now, these propositions about God are not correct. And God, he addresses that. But then what does God do with his friends? He says to them, have Job pray for you, and I will forgive you for what you have just done. Have Job pray for you. Have you ever thought that in the midst of his depression, in the midst of his um, sorrows, in the midst of him not hearing from God, but only hearing from his family and his friends, in the middle of that, he lashes out in anger at God, and yet God is having him pray for his friends at the end of the book. Why? Because Job stayed faithful to God. He stayed faithful to God. He didn't leave God. He didn't say, I'm done with you. He said, I'm angry at you. This is what I'm perceiving about you. He never lost faith in God. He never lost faith in who God was. He was angry at God. And one of the things to keep in mind is that God understands disappointment. He understands these things. But Job, in all of his anger, he did be angry with the Lord, but he did not leave the Lord. He never left him. And he wasn't happy with being with God at that point. But he did not leave God. Do not let any sorrow, any disappointment, cause you to leave God. Don't. Don't do that. Because in the end, God will rise up. In the end, God's character will be made known and true. Click. Oswald Chambers says this, one of the greatest strains in life is the strain on waiting for God. Click. So this is, this is where the psalmist starts. How long, how long are we going to be apart? How long am I going to walk in sorrows? What does this do for me? It allows me to know that I'm going to have times in my relationship with God when I'm going to be very close, and there are going to be times when I'm going to feel very far away. It lets me know that in this world, I am going to go through things. I'm going to maybe go through depression. It's not guaranteed, but it's possible. You know, I've been married for 30 years. I've been dating the same girl for 35 which, you know, 52, it's not bad. But up here somewhere was like, oh, what's that? 57, right? It's, it's, like, a, it's like a competition. Um, right? So I've been married for 35 years. There have been times when, when my wife and I have been so close and so on the same page and so working together towards things. And then there have been other times when we have been farther apart. You know, that is a relationship. Having a relationship with a human being is hard. Anybody who's been in a relationship, say amen. Amen. Right? So why would being in a relationship with God always seem to be easy? We are people. We're broken. Hmm. You know, the writer of Hebrews said this, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So if we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? 
Uh, when my wife and I first got married, we had two cars. One was a, a Honda Civic a hatchback that had to park on a hill because uh, the starter wouldn't start. We didn't have enough money to replace the starter, right? Yeah, yeah, and I'd have to park and I'd put it in neutral and pop it. Um, I had like, there were always four boys at the end of youth group that would wait until youth group was over. Um, they would stay until the last kid had left and then they would push my car and send me on my way. Um, so that was the Honda Civic that we had, the hatchback. How many of you know when you have a car like that, you just love it? You just love that car, it's a great car. And, and then we had a good car. Well, yeah. Well, we had a good car that my wife drove. It was a Toyota uh, Camry. It was a 10-year-old Camry, and it was a great car. And uh, we took it up to New Hampshire, and while we're driving to New Hampshire, we've got $60 cash. We were going to go up for our anniversary, it was our anniversary, and climb Mount Washington together. Um, and that's, you know, we didn't have any money, but we had time, and we had, you know. And so we're driving up there. We make it up to, you know where Loon Mountain is, uh, right when you pull off there? So we, uh, we make it to there, and then all of a sudden, the car just stops. Now, a week before that, AAA had talked to me and said, you have the regular AAA, which will tow you, what, 20 miles? But you can get for $20 more the one that'll tow you for 100 miles. And I said to her, when will I ever be more than 20 miles from a Toyota dealership? Yeah. So I was about 100 miles from that Toyota dealership. They took the car. Um, we had just enough money for a hotel and to get a bus ticket back. That's how much cash we had. And uh, we, we go to the hotel and, and Kristen is just crying. And uh, we get a knock on the door in this room. And this little guy, little guy about this tall, he, he sits there and he says, my wife checked you in. And, um, and she says, you're having a hard day. And uh, Kristen was off to the side. She's still crying because she's, you know, she's worried. And uh, he said, he says, you know, we have paddle boats. Has anybody been on a paddle boat? Lots of effort, very little movement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so he said, we have these paddle boats. And he said, you know, sometimes when you're on the water, things take a different perspective. So we got on the water. We're paddling. She's still crying because she's got to get to work on Monday, all that. And um, I just said to her, I said, why don't we do this? Why don't we one by one make a list of things that God has done for us that's been good? And at this point, the sun is set, and now it's just stars. And I started, and dead silence. I said, no problem, I'll go again. <laughs> started. So I had to say about four things before she said that she was glad we had our cat. <laughs> but then you know what ended up happening? One by one, we're on this paddle boat. The stars are above us. We got nothing. And we started realizing that God has been so good. He's been so good. And even in the midst of this thing, I'm paddling with my feet and hands right now. <laughs> I'm going to stop doing that. Um, but we started just listing off all these things that God has done. And you know, it did not change any of the situation. Hmm. Transmission was shot. That car was gone. Um, we still had to scrape together the money to get on the bus. Still had to figure out. None of the situation had changed. What had changed, what was going on here and here. Click. My father, he was a farmer. And um, one of the things that, that he used to grow uh, was potatoes. Anybody here ever grow potatoes? So growing potatoes is really cool. Um, if you want them to grow well, uh, there's a thing that hates potatoes. It's called potato bug. Um, and if you plant marigolds on around your potatoes, potato bugs hate marigold roots. Don't know why. Um, 
But you would watch these potatoes grow. Now, unlike everything else we're growing, uh, you can't see potatoes. Uh, carrots, you see the top. Onions, you see the top. Tomatoes, you see them on the vine. But potatoes, all you see are these, these green leaves coming above. And you have no idea what's actually going on underneath the soil until October. Potatoes take a long time. They take a long time. You plant them in May, and you harvest them in October. But this is what walking with the Lord is like. Faith is like potatoes. You see, you might be going through a problem now. You might be. And on the surface, all you can see is green. But there's something going on underneath the soil. God is always active in this world around us. There's examples. Joseph and Mary have no idea they're about to run for their lives when they get a knock at the door and these wise men show up and they bring with them wealth. They have no idea that that night they're going to flee for their lives and need to live in a foreign country as an illegal alien, not able to get a job, hiding from the government, and yet before they even knew they had a problem, months before they knew they had a problem, God had lifted up these magi, got them to bring gifts, got them to prepare for a months-long journey. Months before Joseph and Mary knew they had a problem, God already had the solution underway. We see this in Scripture all the time. You have the widow, Zarephath. She has a problem. She has no idea that days before this, a prophet was sent by God on a journey to go meet with her. And she is collecting wood, she has oil and flour, and she's going to watch her son die. It, it is not a matter of destitution, it is a matter of failing your child. But days before this, there was a man coming, and God was going to provide through that prophet. When the psalmist wrote in Psalm 13, how long, Lord? Can I make a promise to everybody in this room? And I mean this. It's like a flat-footed thing. Whatever you're going through now, the Lord has already started the intervention. He is already working in the background. You might only see like the green leaves above, but then when you get a chance and you see what God is doing under the surface, He is an amazing God. I have never seen Him fail me. I have failed Him repeatedly. But he has never failed me. He has always been good. And sometimes the answer to our sorrows, honestly, is cancer is going to take us to heaven and we'll be healed permanently there. Sometimes that's his answer. But I can promise you that part of the lament of Psalm 13 is this promise that even we don't feel his presence, he is good. He loves us. He cares about us. He is providing for us, and he is active in a way that we can't see. And so that's that's thoughts on Psalm 13. Amen. Amen. So, good morning. Good morning. Oh, God is good. Amen. Amen. <laughs>